Good evening. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 7. I'm going to read a few short um, sections here in the book of Revelation. And actually, I've, I've titled this message, A Consideration of Heaven. So that's what I, I want us to think about tonight is heaven. And there's several little glimpses you get in the book of Revelation as John, part of the reason for the book was for the perseverance of the saints, giving them glimpses of what glory is going to be like, what's awaiting these believers who are being persecuted and who are weary. And so we're going to look at a few of these texts, these, these visions that God gave the Apostle John. So we'll, we'll start with the one here in verse 9 of chapter 7. It's a picture of Christians entering heaven. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were stand, standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle, his tent, over them, They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor the heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to the springs of the water of life. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. These are pretty amazing verses. Let's go to chapter 21. Another picture of heaven starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people And God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write, these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost, He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. 
But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And lastly, last text here over in chapter 22. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun. Because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. So, um, the question comes up, why, why would it be profitable for us to think about heaven tonight? And there's several reasons, um, but a few of them here. One is that there's a lot, actually a lot of confusion in Christendom about heaven. You know, there, there's perhaps never been any doctrine in the Bible that's been more twisted by popular culture and Hollywood than the, the concept of heaven or angels or any of that stuff. Um, you know, even right now, the movie out about the, the four-year-old boy or what, that supposedly went to heaven. You know, but we're here tonight not to hear what four-year-old boys have to say about heaven or what Hollywood has to say about heaven, but what does the Word of God say that's coming for us who believe? And secondly, I'm convinced that we as Christians fail to think about heaven as often as we ought to. It just—it's not—it's—it's it's an easy thing to take a, a distant view as you get more, you know, involved with earthly things and earthly tasks. It becomes harder and harder to think about the reality of what's coming for us. All too often, earthly things are more real to us than heavenly things. And lastly, we should think about these things because God himself has told us in his word that we should think about these things. He, Peter says, fix your hope, this, what we're expecting, completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's when Christ comes again. Colossians 3.2, set your minds on things above, heavenly things, spiritual, eternal things, not on the things that are on the earth, earthly things. 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul describes this hope of salvation, this hope of heaven, as one of the basic pieces of armor for the Christian, for daily battle, having put on as a helmet the hope of salvation. So it's, it's important. It's a, it's a, it's, it ought to be a regular part of the Christian life that we're living in this hope of the glory that's to be revealed to us. We need to renew our minds and to lay hold of, in God's word, what's coming for us. Every believer in Christ ought to have a confident expectation of going to heaven. That's God's plan. That's his desire. First John 5.13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, lost religious people, you know, I've experienced it in talking to Catholic folks and Muslim folks. You talk to them about going to heaven, and it's kind of like, well, maybe... You know, I hope so. And what, they, what that really means is, if I do good enough, then hopefully, you know, eventually, you know, hopefully he'll let me in. But Christianity is laying hold 
of what Christ has done and having a firm assurance and hope that we are going. That you can say, I'm, when I die, I've, I know I'm going to heaven. Not because of what I did, but because of what Christ has done for me. It's the devil who would rob us, beat us down, and make heaven seem unreal or make it seem like we're not, we're, we're not ourselves personally on our way there. Every Christian ought to have this hope and live in light of this hope. As certain, as true as it is that Christ really did live, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for sins, and that he rose again, as, as certain as all that happened, that as, as certain we will be in heaven when we die. Not one, there won't be one unoccupied spot. You won't look to the left and you know, not see so-and-so. Every, every drop of the Savior's blood will accomplish what he intended it to, to save a multitude of people. So I'd like to answer um, two main questions tonight from these, these texts we looked at. And the first question is, what will heaven be like? And the second question, who are the people who are going there? And so the, the first question is, what will heaven be like? And to begin with, I'd like to say this, heaven is holy. It says of the four living creatures around the throne day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Heaven, heaven's a place where God and his glory are most manifest. That is where the outshining of his glory is most experienced and seen. And we know this because Jesus taught it when he would speak about God, he'd say, your father who is in heaven. He's, God's everywhere. He's omnipresent, but he's especially in heaven. His glory is especially seen and experienced in heaven. Holiness, we know, has to do with being set apart from common things to God-centered things, like the cups they used, the vessels, they were holy, they were set apart to God. So heaven is holy because everything is set apart to God. It's all, all the attention, all of the focus will be on God. The picture in, in Revelation 7, 9, it said that the Lamb was standing in the center of the throne. He, everything's all revolving around God in heaven, in His glory. It's a holy place. There won't be a need for a sun or moon or lamp, for God's glory itself is going to illumine everything. All activity perfectly centers upon God. The sight of His glory and the glory of Christ will is when we when we're there and we see that it will praise will be forced out of our lips just from seeing the glory of God. Will melt, will dissolve in His presence, in His beauty, in His majesty. You know, if you're if you're not worshiping God here on earth, why would you want to go to heaven? If you're, not a, if you're not a Christian, you don't worship God, you know, you, you say, I want to go to heaven. Why would you want to go there? Because in heaven, God's the center. You're not going to be the center. It's going to be God. And tied in with this thing of heaven being holy is sinlessness. Heaven is going to be a sinless place. Second Peter 3.13 But according to His promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's going to be a it's a holy place. There's no locks on the doors because there's no thieves. There's no lawyers because there's no lawsuits. There's no police because there's no crimes. It's a it's a sinless place. Think of this, beloved, never to sin again. That's what it is to go to heaven. I mean, the moment. I mean, after a lifetime 
of striving against the flesh, striving against the devil and the world, all these forces arrayed against you in the Christian life, and then the moment you enter into heaven, sinlessness, no longer, never to sin again, no, no cloud of unbelief to, blo- to obscure your view of God, no wayward thought, no slip of the tongue, no lack of love. It'll be a perfect experience of God's love and, and the love that he's put in you will be perfect. 1 John 3, 2, we know that when he appears, that is when Christ comes again in the end, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Paul says we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye, just like that, when Christ comes. Beloved, one day we are going to be like Christ. It's actually going to happen. We're, we're ne- there, there will be no more sin in heaven. Thirdly, heaven is a world of love. You know, the Bi- Jonathan Edwards, I think, wrote that little booklet, a world, Heaven, a World of Love. God is love, the Bible says. That's in his very essence. He's a holy trinity of love. And if that's the case, what, I mean, what do you think permeates the atmosphere of heaven? It's going to be the love of God. It says that he himself personally will wipe away every tear from our eyes. I mean, that speaks to me of love, the reality of God's love toward us. I'm convinced that upon finally seeing the face of Christ, out of all the things that could strike us, I think that the look of love on the face of Christ toward us will be the thing that will most strike us. That Just how much more wonderful He is than we, than we ever imagined Him to be. The reality of how much He really did love us. You know, I mean, what will it be like to, to, see, to finally see it with our own eyes? No longer walking by faith, but by sight. Here on earth, as the hymn says, storms may sweep my skies. We, you know, we have varied experiences of God's love. Even while we're here in the meeting sometimes, you're singing songs about Christ's love to you and you don't even feel, you don't feel it like you know you ought to feel it. You know, there's things that are, whatever it is, maybe it's what you ate earlier. You know, it doesn't have to be sin. But in heaven, it won't be that way. There won't be any varied experience. In heaven, the love of Christ will be the most real thing. It'll, it'll be the most real thing that you eternally experience. Isn't that amazing? There'll be no end to it. We'll be entering in to the eternal love that's always existed between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Heaven will be a world of joy. Matthew twenty five twenty one. Jesus, you remember when he says, Well done. Thou good and faithful slave, enter into the joy of your master. That's what it's like to go to heaven. I mean, you're entering into the joy of your master. You know, I can remember when I was lost, I would think about heaven and hell. And I think, you know, you think about hell, obviously no one ever wants to go to hell. Um, But I didn't really want to go to heaven either. You know, I think about it, it just sounded scary. I mean, eternity, you know, I mean, after a thousand years, you're no closer to the end of it. A million years, no closer to the end of it. And when you don't know God, it's like, man, why would you want to be anywhere for a million years, you know? You know, wouldn't it get old? Wouldn't it get boring after a while? Wouldn't you want to leave? But the truth is that heaven will never get old because God himself is inexhaustible. He's, he's infinite. It's when it, just whenever you think you've, you've reached the height of experiencing the joy of knowing Christ, there's more to be had. It's ever-increasing. I mean, it's joy without limit, joy without ends. 
in his presence. I mean, earth, the things of earth can give you fleeting, temporary happiness that lasts a moment. You know, when you're a kid, you get the video game, you play it 24 hours straight. By the next day, it's boring. It's old news. You know, the, the joy, you, the temporary happiness you got out of the thing is gone. But in heaven, there's no, there's no exhausting God in seeing more of his glory, experiencing the joy of knowing him. It'll be a real fulfillment of what Peter talked about, joy unspeakable and full of glory. In heaven, there will be no death or sorrow or pain. Revelation 21.4, we read that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. What an encouragement to those of us that suffer physical afflictions or our brethren in the world that suffer physical persecutions. There's no long, there will not be any suffering. There's not going to be any hearing loss. There's not going to be any blindness. There's not going to be any back, crippling back pain. There's not going to be any cancer. There's not going to be any flu, stomach bugs, vomiting. <laughs> no weak, frail, failing bodies. No one's going to be dying. No one's going to be wasting away in heaven. Paul says this about the resurrection of the dead. Our body, it's like, it's like a seed, and unless it dies, it doesn't come to fruition. He says, it's sown a perishable body, but it's raised an imperishable body. It's sown in dishonor. You've got, you got this weak, dying body that's yeah. falling into the grave. But it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. God's going to God's going to raise every believer and give them a new body with that's per, that's perfect without pain without weakness it'll be raised in glory and power what a hope for those like brother Saeed that are imprisoned and beaten now to have that sort of a hope that one day it won't be that way anymore how else could Paul say of his own sufferings, for a momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. He, he lived in this, you know, I mean, he lived in this hope of heaven. He walked in it, and he lived in it so much that he could say that the sufferings that he endured, which is infinitely more than any of us have ever suffered for Christ, he said that's, it's, not, it's not even worth comparison to what's coming. It's momentary light afflictions, I mean, beaten times without number being taken for dead, being stoned on a hillside. Beloved, one moment in heaven with Christ will repay a lifetime of sorrow, labor, and hardship. I mean, that's what it will be like, really. I mean, after a moment of being there, it's all, it will all be worth it, whatever the hardship, whatever, whatever the cost it takes to get there, to ever be with the Lord. Far better to be the poorest, sickest, most despised man hated by all, but be on your way to heaven. Jesus said to that guy, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. Better to be that guy than the richest, healthiest, and well-respected and loved man on earth and be on your way to hell. Heaven will be a place of honor and exaltation. Jesus taught that a day is coming when the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. 
Right now, Christians are despised, hated, laughed at, mocked, persecuted, and in, in most parts of the world, put to death. But the day will come when they're going to shine like the sun. And as our text said, they're going to reign forever and ever. You know, Jesus, Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That is to say that for the man that spends his life here exalting himself, living for himself, there's a day coming when he's going to be brought low. Everyone's, it's going to be evident before all that he lived for the wrong things, that he lived for sin, and he's going to be eternally humbled in hell. But for the one who humbles himself here on earth, and lays down their life and says, I'm not going to live for myself, all to Christ, God's going to exalt that one. He's going to confess that man or that woman before the angels of God in heaven. He's going to confess him. He's going to be exalted one day. It's going to be shown. The, the, the little guy in India that's getting beat half to death by the, a group of Hindus or whatever, one day on the day of judgment, it's going to be shown. God's going to own him, and he's going to be exalted. He's going to shine like the sun in the kingdom of God. It says they will reign forever and ever. So, brethren, that was just an answer to the first question there. What will heaven be like? And, you know, that wasn't even, I, I thought of about five more as I was preparing this message, but, you know, we could. I, there's probably a lot more than that. But I want to answer the second question, who will be going there? And I want us to look back here into Revelation 7 again. If there's one thing you don't want to miss in the message, is this, this question right here. You can know about heaven and not be on your way to heaven. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> you can hear all kinds of teaching on the Bible, and it doesn't matter if you yourself personally are not on your way to heaven. So who, who are the ones who are going to heaven? Let's look in Revelation 7 and verse 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they, and where have they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, because they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, for this reason... They are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. Who are the ones that are on their way to heaven? They are the ones whose garments have been washed in the blood of Christ, in the blood of the Lamb. It won't do any good to try to, to clean the filth off yourself. You know, there's, there's a stain that if you try to clean it, it only spreads. It only gets worse. And that's the way sin is. You try to clean it. You're just making yourself more guilty before God. You, you try to get rid of it. You try to, you know, your self-effort or your religiosity. That makes you more guilty. It's like trying to bribe a judge by your own efforts, by your own acts. But no, you must come like every Christian's going to come. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. The stain of sin can only be removed by the blood of Christ. If there's one thing that's going to keep you out of heaven... It's sin. It's your own sin, your guilt, you're stained, you're defiled, you're dirty from sin. If there's one thing that can wash it away, it's the blood of Christ. It's what he's done on the cross for sinners, his death on the cross. 
And the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, isn't this amazing? All, all of the glory of heaven, eternity with God, an eternity of experiencing God's love. And how, how, you know, what do you have to do? Do you have to climb this mountain? Do you have to go on this pilgrimage? Do you have to you know, faithfully do this, five, pray five times a day all of your life? All of it is a free gift. It's a, the free gift of God by faith in Jesus Christ, what he's done on behalf of sinners. And turn again with me back to Revelation 21. So it's those who've washed their garments white in the blood of the Lamb. But notice also what it says here. Revelation 21 and start in verse 6. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. So it's, this is the freeness of it again. Anyone that's thirsty, anyone that wants to be saved from their sins can be if they'll come to Christ. But notice also what it says in verse 7. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. He who overcomes. If you're, if you're lost, your only hope is to run to Christ. To, to believe in him, to trust in what he did for you. If you're saved and you are trusting in Christ, there's only one way to go. It's to overcome. It's to press on in the gospel, relying on him to endure, to not lose heart, to not lose sight of what's coming, the glory that's yet to be revealed to us, to believe it, to not let other things become more real to us than, than, than what's awaiting us. I mean, how, you know, if we, if we really believed in all, all that God, that you know, most of our salvation is yet to be brought to us. Most of it's yet to be revealed. How, how would we live differently? You know, I mean, what, perhaps what would we give up that we're not now if we really entered in? You know, I'm asking this to myself too. If we really saw the reality of this, that our treasure really is in heaven, this is where we're going. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What a, what a promise. God himself will be our God forever. Amen.